How's everybody doing? Doing good? Cool. All right, as Jordan said, you might not know me. You haven't seen me up here before. My name is Caleb. Uh, I'm one of the residents here on staff with Salt Company at Veritas Church. You guys are joining us here on a Thursday night. It's pretty clear to you. But what else happens here? On Sundays, believers gather here. We have three service times. We have an 8 a.m., a 9.30, and an 11. So believers gather here every Sunday. I'll be here. If you see me here, come say hi. One of the best parts on my Sunday is that I get to get to know you guys, get to hang out with you. Come on. Let's get to it. So we are in our foundation series. We have three foundations that we're going to be going through. Last week, Jordan taught on the foundation of the Bible. That the Bible is the true word of God. It is God's self-revelation to us, is what we would say. Meaning, how does an infinite being communicate things about himself to finite beings, beings that have limits? How does that happen? Well, he wrote a book. He wrote the Bible. That is God seeking to tell you about himself through the word. And we learned three things. Jordan just recapped them in his prayer there. We have that the Bible is, let me find my place, God's self-revelation. The Bible is lasting. The Bible is not going anywhere. Jesus said that his words would never pass away. What else is the Bible? The Bible is life-giving. So if you're a Christian seeking to be sustained through life, that's where you go. You go to the Bible. And if you're somebody who wouldn't say you're a Christian, but you started to walk through this world and think, those things that I've gone to for identity, those things that I've gone to that everybody says are going to fulfill me, they're leaving me empty. And at best, I have temporary relief from what's going on inside me. What do I do? Well, the Bible has life in its pages for you, too. Open up one of the Gospels. Open up the Gospel of John. Right? The other thing we learned is that the Bible is limitless in value. It means it's useful in all circumstances. If you can choose just one book, choose the Bible. So, and what are we going to do next week? We're going to be hearing about mission from Jacob, one of the other residents here on staff. And it's our mission to create disciples of Jesus, which is people who know Jesus, follow him, and obey his teaching. They seek to be like him. And we don't just want that for you today. We want this to be a place where you can grow in your relationship with Christ so that you can be a lifelong follower of Jesus. We want you to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. And when you hear us often say, hey, we value forever over semesters. That's what we mean. We want you to flourish today so you have the roots that you need for the life that you have ahead of you, right? College is not the end of the story. And we want you to be established and ready to encounter the life you have ahead of you. So you know last week, you have Bible. You know next week, you got mission. What's going on this week? So if you are really good at looking through those, like interpreting these little graphics here. Uh, maybe the astute among you can tell that one of those, a little heart, is community. That's what we're going to be talking about. So we want you guys to have a rich and full community that leads you to being able 
to grow in vulnerability and grow toward Jesus. So I think most of us would say that we have community, right? We would say we have community. We might not call it that. Community is maybe a weird way to say that. But we'd say, hey, we have a friend group. We have our sports team that we participate in or a club, maybe the people that we go to parties with. But how did these various groups start, right? Maybe you all happen to meet on the first day of classes. Maybe you all live in the same apartment complex. You know, maybe you all have a mutual interest. So you've come together over a topic, right? I checked it out, Kirkwood's clubs page. There is a cyber defense club. So for any of you aspiring cyber defense people, I don't know what to call that. If you're passionate about cyber defense, there's a club for you. There's also the woodworking club. So are you looking to increase in your ability to build tables and cabinetry? Talk about a useful life skill. Check out the woodworking club. And here, here's the one that I would go to. Uh, the ever-dependable, the ever-classic bowling club. Come on. We live in the Midwest. What's there to do? There's stuff to bowl. Come on. It's a bowling club. So we, what's going on here, right? We have specialty groups about cyber defense, about woodworking, about bowling, which that one makes sense. Um, what's going on? People want people to be around, and we're looking for something. We're drawn to other people. Why are we doing this? What are we searching for? Why is it that if we're honest, we end up at these clubs and on these teams and on these friend groups, and the only thing we're capable of talking about in those clubs and teams and friend groups is a sport we already play, the stuff already happening in that friend group, or the club topic that we all surround ourselves with. Like the conversations, they're limited, they're shallow. Have you felt this? Right? That you're talking to someone you know from a team or from going out, and the only thing you can talk about is the team or sport that you guys already play together, the party that you both went to. You repeat this same conversation with 10 people within that group. It lasts about five minutes, and then the conversation lulls. And you give the awkwardness about 10 seconds, and you make up an excuse, and you walk away. Does that happen to anybody? So these things that we think are community, they've become something else. They've become social clubs. They've become mere social interactions. But here's the problem. One day, the sport you play is going to be done. All right? And one day, the hobby that you're really passionate about, the hobby will still be there, but the people won't be. School is going to be done. So what are we going to do about it? right? It's good to have these interests. It's good to be involved in clubs. It's good to be on teams. It's better to know people and to be known by people. So maybe that story resonates with you. Maybe you think that that's true of you, or maybe you don't. But ask yourself this, the community that you do have, do they know you? Do they know you? What do they know about you? And if they don't know you, how can they love you? Right? How can we be shallowly known and deeply loved? Those two things are incompatible. It doesn't work. 
So what if there was a community? What if there was a community that really knew you, and upon really knowing you, seeing you, that they loved you? Right? Does that sound nice? And you know what I'm going to say, right? You're here. It's pretty clear to you. I'm going to tell you, yes, there is a community like that. It's Christian community, but how do we do it? What's the secret to Christian community? What's going on? Perfect. Well, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to seek that answer in the scriptures today. If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans 1-2 with me. It'll also be up on the screen for you. That's Romans 12, 1 through 2. So, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're going to have five points tonight. This first one is Christian community is selfless, not self-centered. What do we see in that text? What's the motivation going on? We saw it right there at the beginning. It's that we live our lives as a sacrifice. We live our lives as a sacrifice. Paul, who wrote this letter to the Romans, is talking about living your life, your being your person, the things that you do with it. He's saying we should live in a way that by doing so, we worship God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, this is your spiritual worship. What should we do with our lives? We've been given great capacity to make decisions. What are we to do with the lives that we have? Well, we're to present them. Or to live them as worship. This is like so different than the community that we have out in the world. Has like, like what do we do when we join community out in the world? Has the woodworking club stopped helping you build a better table or better cabinetry? Has it? Quit. Right? It's not serving you anymore. Has the team you're on, have they stopped winning? Have they stopped advancing your career toward professional sports? Be done walk away. If anything fails to serve you, to do what you want it to, to improve your life, walk away from it. It's not worth your time. But that's not what we see here in Romans. That's not what Christian community is like. Christian community is selfless with the aim that the way you live and participate is not so that you would be made great or that you would be served or that your life would be improved, but actually that you've been given great capacity that you'd make God great with your life, that you would live your life in a way that could be said is worship of a God who is great and deserves that worship. What else? We'll keep moving. We have Romans 12, 3 through 8. It's quite a lot. I'll read it, though. (laughs) So, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 
If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Guys, people are different. Who knew? Look around. Look in front of yourself. Look to the left. Look to the right. These people next to you, they, they look different than you. They are different than you. But what do we see? That those differences have actually been placed there by God, right? That every person has different gifts, and God intended this. This next point here is Christian community celebrates various gifts. It doesn't demand uniformity. Uniformity means one, right? It doesn't demand that you be the same. In fact, you are different, and you have been given different gifts, and God intended it that way. And notice how each of those gifts that Paul outlines, he orients outwardly, right? Having different gifts according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving outwardly toward others, the one who teaches in his teaching, who's receiving teaching? Other people. The one who exhorts, and what that means is, think about exhorts as like encourage, to encourage someone or to appeal to them to go in a certain direction. In the person who exhorts, in his exhortation implied toward others, the one who contributes, do it generously the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts, excuse me, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. So has God given you a gift? But what if we ask ourselves, what if he gave me that gift not so I could keep it to myself? but so that I could use it for the other people around me. And if I am different, maybe that's so God would be made great. He gave gifts. Look at how they can work together for good. So much so you'll see that Paul uses this imagery. It's really common in the New Testament of, hey, people are like Christians, are like a body. Right? They're like different parts of a body in the ways that they've been given different gifts by God. A hand is not a foot. An eye is not a mouth. And when one tries to assume the position of the other, stuff goes wrong. But when each part acts according to the way it has been created, to the gifts that you've been given, there's harmony. So think about it like this. Guys, out in the world... Someone like me, realistically, like, what club am I a part of? Like, the chess club? I don't know. Like, the coolest thing about me is that I paid somebody else to draw on me with ink that doesn't go away. Like, I show up to, let's say, the football team, and what are they going to do? They're going to tell me to leave. They're going to say, what are you doing here? First of all, really? Second of all, this is probably for your safety, right? Like, you, I shouldn't be at a football practice because I would get broken in half. And they're going to tell me to leave. They're not going to say, oh, those are some cool tattoos. There's a unique gifting right there. Let's get them on the team. Get them out here. No, they're going to say, you should leave because you're not like us. There's not a place for you. 
they're going to send me packing. But Christian community recognizes the different gifts that you have been given. That God has given you unique gifts. Use those gifts to serve others because you have a creator that gave that gift for you. Right? If you're human, you have God-given dignity and unique gifts that he's placed there. The bar for entry on Christian community is do you have a creator? And you do. And he's created you specifically. So come do what you were made to do and love others by serving them in the way you've been uniquely gifted. We'll keep moving along. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's a lot. Quick stop here. If you go, we're going to dig through Romans 9 through 21. Uh, and depending on your count, there's roughly 27 commands going on in this text that we're going to go through. Uh, and even if I spent the entire time up here, and I debated whether or not that's what we were going to do. Uh, if I spent the whole time up here in Romans 9 through 21, I'm not sure we'd have enough time to go through each command. But think about it like this. Romans 12 the whole thing, but specifically 9 through 21, is a key text. When you think about, hey, what does it look like to be a Christian? What does a, a Christian's life look like? How do they act toward one another? How do they act toward others? Go to Romans 12, 9 through 21. Read it, love it, memorize it, and be challenged by the fact that a lot of this stuff does not come very naturally to us at all. So, though, even with 27 commands, there are some unifying themes that pull everything together. We're going to be going through two. I have two for us. And the first one will be in this point. The next one will be in the next point. Makes sense. Come on. So, the next one we have here is Christian community love is familial, not consumeristic. Okay? So we saw there that love is genuine. The Christian community is familial in nature. We've been adopted as language you'll see all throughout the New Testament. We see at the beginning of the passage, what is love? It's genuine. It avoids and detests evil, and rather it seeks to hold on to things that are good. And it has a type of affection, a type of care that is characterized as brotherly. So what does it mean to love or to have these qualities, to be genuine, and especially what's going on? What's, what's brotherly affection, brotherly care? It is what it sounds like. You have a sibling. They behave in a way that doesn't make you really happy. Or did they stop being your sibling? right? Your brother does something you don't want them to. You guys, some of you might have siblings. Some of you might not, but you have parents. You know what a family tie is. And when somebody does something you don't want, do they cease to be your family? Do they stop? You just, I didn't really like what you did there. You're not my brother anymore. No, that's not how it works. The affection is tied together. It's bound 
And the only, the closest thing we have to describe that is that it's like being in a family. So, it also means that love is genuine. It means that, hey, it's vulnerable. It's honest about who it is. And it loves you for who you are, not what you can do for it. Because what I mean by Christian community love is, is this family quality, not a consumer quality. Right? It loves you for who you are, not what you can do for it. Other communities, they quickly make you ask the question, what do I bring to the table? And if it's not enough, I should leave. I shouldn't be a part of that football team. I don't bring enough to the table, all right? I need to bring like 30 more pounds or more to the table for that to matter, all right? You ask the question, what do I bring to the table, and is it enough, or should I just leave? That is not Christian community. So, we see in the Bible, in Genesis 1, if you're a human being, the most fundamental thing about you is that you bear the image of God. He created you in his image, and if you're a Christian, one step further, the Bible tells us that you are a part of a family. Paul says in another of his letters, this one written to the Galatians, this is in Galatians 4, 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Right? Christ came. He lived a sinless life. He died and he was resurrected. And here's what you need to know. He did that and he did it for the love of you while you had nothing to offer, right? Romans 5 says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't look at you and said, what do you bring to the table? Maybe convince me about this. He saw that you had nothing to offer, and yet he came, and yet he died. He lived the perfect life so that his record could be attributed to you, and he didn't do it because you had anything to bring to the table. He didn't die for us because we had something for him. We were and are wayward, sinful people, and yet we've been given the opportunity to become a family, sons and daughters brought into adoption. And so maybe now you're starting to see you can be known in Christian community. Love can be genuine and vulnerable because your value doesn't correspond, isn't linked to you having a perfect reputation or you being great. Are you bringing the right thing to the table? Are you having the right kind of stuff? Okay? You can be known, you can be real about who you are because the fact that you are creation created by God means you qualify. You qualify to be brought into community, and God has made a way to fix your biggest problem. And it's not because of something you did. All right. We look at how familial, genuine love plays out in the rest of those verses we read. We see that Paul gives us a picture of what it looks like. It's trying to outdo one another in honor. You guys know what that is? To honor one another, it's probably not how we would say it, but we compete over all kinds of things. We compete to be seen as, as better, as stronger, as more attractive than those around us, but that's not what we're called to compete in. 
We're called actually to compete in outdoing one another in honor, and that would be pointing out and encouraging those things that are admirable in those you love. That would be to honor them. We also see that we are to rejoice and hope that we've been given. You have security in Christ if you are a follower of Jesus. That brings hope. Or to have patience in tribulation and to be in constant prayer because of what's been secured for us. And like I said, guys, there's so much here. <laughs> that This section, there's so much that we could unpack. But if you've got to take away anything, please take away this. Christian community is held together by love that is genuine, real, and vulnerable. It doesn't ask, hey, what can you do for us? But who were you created to be? what has Christ done for you? The question is not what have you brought to the table, what can you do for us, but who were you created to be and what has Christ done for you? Come on. Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, and repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's unifying theme number two. Christian community has love for those outside it, not disdain. I tried really hard not to use the word disdain, but it just so perfectly captures what's going on here. So I'll give you guys a, a definition. Disdain is the belief that someone is unworthy of your time, consideration, or respect. That they aren't worth you to spend time thinking about. They don't have qualities that make them um, deserving of your respect. This is disdain, to hold this kind of belief about somebody. Right? Like this word haughty that Paul uses don't be haughty. It's touching on this same thing, this kind of aloofness, this highness, this I don't associate with people that I view that way. But what does Paul tell the Christians to do? He says those outside your community, the furthest possible ones, those who persecute you, what are you to do to them? You're to bless them. What? That's crazy. Right? The most generous treatment of our enemies, of the people who curse us, that we see out in the world is, I'm just going to stay away from that person. Like, we just don't get along. It wouldn't be good. I'm going to keep my distance. It's just not right. We're not the right fit. They persecute me, um, and I kind of want to curse them, so I'm going to stay far away from them. No, Paul does not co-sign that. He says, when somebody persecutes you, you don't distance yourself from them. You bless them. You can't bless somebody without going to them, engaging with them, and in doing so, going out of your way to do good for them. 
Bless them. Go to them. Don't distance yourself from them. Draw near to them. He continues, he says, live in harmony with one another. When it comes to your status, don't consider yourself either special or wise. That word haughty, and says, don't be wise in your own sight. So do not draw distinctions about your status with people. Associate with even the lowly. Associate with everyone. The Christian is not special. God, I mean, you've been here for a moment. You know we are not thoroughly impressive people, right? The Christian story is not, hey, I did a lot of stuff. Turned out I was pretty great. I brought that to God, and he said, that's a special person. They're deserving of a lot of favor and attention. That's not the Christian story. The Christian story is that we did nothing. We had nothing to offer. All of our good deeds were like filthy rags, it says in Isaiah. And yet, God looks at us, not seeing special or high-status people, but instead, he does something for us that we could never deserve does something for us that we could never deserve. So the Christian is not a Christian because we are high status or special, not because of what we've done, but for what has been done for us. And because of this, we don't even have to keep track of the wrongs that are done to us. Evil is not to be repaid with evil. When the Christian has evil done to them, we surrender that payment to the Lord. It says vengeance is the Lord. And so when somebody does evil to us, we put it in God's why do we do this? In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says this about who we were before Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So when the Christian has evil done to them, they don't see the right to get back at that person. They see them as they once were, a son of disobedience, a child of wrath. Their responsibility, the Christian responsibility is not to get back at somebody, but is instead to feed them and care for them. Who can deny the kindness of being fed when you are hungry, or being given drink when you are thirsty, right? And why do you do that? To heap up coals on their head because we desire that they would know forgiveness like we've been given, right? So we don't have to keep track of wrongs done to us. Vengeance is the Lord's, and our desire is that they would not see vengeance like we have not seen vengeance. We've been reconciled to God. We do these things. We heap up these coals so they would see forgiveness and reconciliation, So, if at any point you've been here and you've thought, oh, wow, sounds like a like great kind of community full of great people. On the first count, I'm really happy. I want you guys to have the kind of community where you can be vulnerable and known, where you can share and grow by being loved, and you can grow in your faith toward Jesus. On the second count, the full of great people, I think you've misunderstood. <laughs> so, 
Let's go back to Romans 12, 1 through 2. Again here, back to the very start where we were at. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you see the beginning? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. That's how this is accomplished. Not because there's high quality, great people who just really make this community thing happen how it ought to. No. It's by the mercies of God. And God's greatest mercy was that he sent his son, Jesus. He sees a broken and rebellious humanity, a broken and rebellious people, people who shattered their relationships with him and with each other, whose brokenness is tearing the world apart. This is, we live currently in the bloodiest century that man has ever known. More people have been murdered in this century than ever in history. The human trafficking industry is alive and well. There are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been. It's a broken, broken place. And so even though God would be perfectly justified in wiping people off the map, instead he came and took on the punishment that we had earned for ourselves so that a broken and sinful people could be reconciled to a holy God. That's the greatest mercy. And only by it can we ever hope to do any of these things, right? Any of this community, any of these things we've talked about can only be accomplished by God's mercy. Do you remember when I said before that no part of Romans 12 comes naturally to us? These things are hard to do. But we are able to be obedient, not because we're special, or we really have the grit or the will but because Jesus was perfectly obedient. And if you've, if you've accepted him, you've been given the same spirit that he has, that he died and was resurrected. And that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, is within you. Jesus was perfectly obedient to these things. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the principles laid out in Romans 12. And we, through his death and resurrection, have the same spirit that he has. It's the only way a community that's like this that's been described could ever, ever happen. So, I asked at the very beginning, what's the secret to Christian community? Here it is. You ready? The key to Christian community is being a Christian in community. Oh, yeah. What you're seeing there, uh, that's actually the fifth point. If you wanted the title of point five, you've got it. But what is the key to being a Christian in community? What's the key to community? The key to Christian community is being a Christian in community. And I'll say that one more time. The key to Christian community is being a Christian in community. The principles outlined in Romans 12, they don't work if they don't begin with the mercy that we have received from God. What makes you a Christian is not where you grew up or what kind of family you grew up in or whether or not they brought you to church. 
It's whether or not you accept the free gift being offered to you by Christ and make him the Lord of your life. So now once you've done that, if you've done that, be obedient to Jesus and be in community and know that it is not done on your effort or power, right? So by the Holy Spirit, there is a community that is selfless because the people in it are renewed. They're engaged with one another to serve, not merely for their own enjoyment. This kind of community celebrates each person's unique gifts rather than demanding that they be uniform to fit the right kind of mold or qualifications. This kind of community has familial love rather than consumeristic love. Love that is not cast aside easily, that asks who you are, not what can you do for me. Doesn't ask what value you bring, but instead assumes that you are valuable because you're created. And that love loves those outside of it instead of hating them. So, this one's particularly meaningful for me. This is how I came to know Jesus. When I was a kid, I felt constantly rejected by everybody I was around. I didn't feel like I fit in. Didn't feel like I could ever say the right thing. It made me angry. I was so angry to constantly be rejected by those around me, to constantly look at what I was bringing to the table and to say it's not enough. And I came into contact with Christian community and through them, Jesus and learned that I didn't have to be cool or likable to be loved by a savior. And that's the kind of community that I would hope we would be, where somebody can be known and loved so that they can be grown. That only when we have forgiveness from Christ can we be honest about who we are and free from who we've been so that we can be loved. That's the kind of place we wanna be. So. A couple application points as we wrap up. How do we do this? How does this happen? Number one, show up. Come on Thursday. Go to your C group. Come on Sunday. Show up because there's no thing that could disqualify you from joining. Two, be open to being challenged. No thing could disqualify you, but don't plan to stay the same. Right? If you showed up to a running group and told them you were a pack-a-day smoker, what do you think they'd tell you to do? They would plead with you to stop smoking those cigarettes so you could run. Okay? So be open to being challenged. There's no thing that could disqualify you. But don't plan to stay as you are. And lastly, be known. You can be vulnerable about who you are because this is not a perfect group. This is a forgiven people. All right, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says, in being spoken to Jesus, Jesus says to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? There is no weakness that you could have that wouldn't make Jesus' power realized more. All right, guys, I'll pray for us.
Lord in heaven, we thank you for your gifts, God. We thank you that there is no thing that we need to bring to the table to earn your love, God. That in fact, there is nothing we could bring. But instead, you saw a broken people and you sent your son to live the perfect life, to die on a cross, to be raised to life so that we could be known in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that this would be a community where relationships like that flourish. Amen.